there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Nick. Yeah. I think that I have done a pretty good job of not referencing the West Wing on this show. I think I've shown a lot of restraint. I think that's fair. For someone who works on a show that's largely about government and still cries about a quarter of the time when I watch the West Wing. I will admit, I occasionally bring up the Bartlett for America napkin, but that's it, right? You do bring that up, but in your defense, it's a pretty cinematic moment. It is. But today, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm breaking. I'm going to reference the West Wing quite a bit. Also, by the way, for anyone who has never heard of or never seen the West Wing, uh, it is a TV show from the 90s and the early aughts about a fictional president, Jeb Bartlett, and his administration. And it has been roundly praised for being relatively true to the actual goings-on of the West Wing, if pretty idealistic and sentimental, which is why I cry all the time. And the government of Myanmar reportedly used the West Wing to study how democracy works. Although I do know that Gerald Ford's daughter couldn't watch it, apparently, because they got the layout wrong. And the frequent walk and talks, they turn left when it's actually a right turn, and they turn right when it's actually a left turn. Whatever. Nevertheless, I recently rewatched a certain episode. And Nick, my, how the world has changed. And I said no. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear, sir. You will be held responsible for shutting down the federal government. Then shut it down. Oh, it's so dramatic. Mr. President. It is so dramatic, but Nick, government shutdowns actually used to mean something. The name of that episode, by the way, for anyone who's looking for it, is just shut down. I mean, can you even imagine at this stage a United States in which a shutdown warrants this kind of music? I feel like nowadays the announcement of a government shutdown would elicit nothing more than like a trombone going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm McCabadiche. And this is Civics 101. And today we are talking about the grind to a halt disaster that has taken on new meaning in recent years. The government shutdown. Top Democrats Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer tonight. The possible shutdown less of a concern now than the tonight. Lawmakers racing to prevent a government shutdown. Both chambers. So we told the president we needed the government open. He resisted. In fact, he said he'd keep the government closed for a A new poll shows more Americans blame the president and his party for this historic statement. Unfortunately, Congress has not fulfilled its responsibility. It's failed to pass a budget, and as a result. 
Much of our government must now shut down until Congress funds it again. I feel like government shutdowns are pretty commonplace nowadays, but I do want to point out, I don't remember hearing about them when I was a kid. Okay, yes. The thing is that government shutdowns were certainly happening as you were growing up. The public just was not paying as much attention to them. Why wouldn't you pay attention to the government itself shutting down? Well, before we talk about what a government shutdown used to be, let's quickly establish what it actually is. A shutdown is like a disease in the budgetary process. This is Charles Tiefer, a law professor at the University of Baltimore. He spoke with the original host of Civics 101, Virginia Prescott, back in 2017. Right, so before we stumbled into our longest shutdown ever. Correct, just before the 2018 shutdown. This is when we were on the verge of it and everyone was like, what does a shutdown mean again? Annual spending bills are supposed to regularly follow one after the other. So as one expires, the one for the spending for the next year takes over. But if you have uh, a giant glitch in the spending process, uh, the one for a prior fiscal year expires and there's no new one in place, Uh, And that means the government finds it has an empty wallet without any money in it they can spend. In other words, a government shutdown is when the government fails to fund itself. And to understand government shutdowns today, it helps to know where this relatively recent phenomenon came from. Wait, we haven't always had them? No. Our government did not have its first shutdown until 1976. So for the first 200 years of our government's existence, we didn't have a single shutdown? Correct. So what on earth went wrong? All right, before the mid-70s, the president had way more control over the budgeting process. Then Richard Nixon came along and took it to the next level. He refused to spend congressionally appropriated funds. The time has come for a new economic policy for the United States. Its targets are unemployment, inflation, and international speculation. And this is how we are going to attack those targets. Congress got mad and passed the Congressional Budget and Impoundment Control Act of 1974 to gain more control, as is in the name. 1976 came along and President Gerald Ford vetoed an appropriations bill because he felt trapped by a Democratic Congress. He wanted more control. And the government shut down. For 10 days. Did everyone freak out? Not really. Everyone assumed Congress would just figure it out. And they did. Also, because we'd never had a shutdown before, the government just went on spending money that it hadn't appropriated. The attorney general later decided during the Reagan administration that spending money you didn't have was illegal. Right. But I grew up in the Reagan administration and I still don't remember shutdowns. Reagan had eight government shutdowns during his administration. Eight shutdowns? Yeah, the most of any president ever. Wait, we hear about Reagan's legacy all the time. Why doesn't anybody mention that he had eight shutdowns? All right, so here is the big shift that changed government shutdowns forever. Before the 1990s, government shutdowns were typically about line item quibbles, disputes over very specific funding decisions. For example, we shut down under Carter for a full 18 days 
when he vetoed an appropriations bill that funded an expensive nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. We are going to hold down government spending, reduce the budget deficit, and eliminate government waste. So what changed in the 90s? Oh, that was a titanic clash in 1995. A new Republican House and Republican Senate had been elected in the 1994 election. So you had the first Republican Congress uh, in ages and ages and ages. It had been decades since there had been a Republican House. This was led by Speaker Newt Gingrich, and he thought that uh, this would batter down the doors of the White House and that he would make them sign bills about uh, key spending programs, including perhaps cuts in entitlements like Medicare, Medicaid. He talked about letting Medicare Medicare wither on the vine. The fact is there is a 45% increase in general Medicare spending that is twice the inflation rate over the next seven years. Okay, I do remember it being a huge deal that Republicans had control of Congress for the first time in like 40 years. And President Clinton who had lost the Congress in the 1994 election, had been elected with a strong Democratic Congress in the 1992 election, and then lost in the midterm election. He had laid low for a while. He hadn't been fighting. He hadn't been standing up visibly against the Republican Congress. But he stood up on the shutdown. He said, you want to shut me down? Go ahead and shut me down. I'm here to protect Medicare, Medicaid, the environment, and Social Security. And he drew the line in the sand, and that was what the, the government closed down on, that clash at, at the top level. This sounds familiar. Doesn't it, though? You will be held responsible for shutting down the federal government. And then shut it down. Okay, so this major shutdown happens in the 90s, and it lasts 21 days. And this is a big deal. And I don't know why you don't remember it, probably because you were a teenager and had other things on your mind. But the point is, the government shuts down for a long time. And this time, it is about something big. It's not some small line item. It's about political ideologies of a president. Just like Jeb Bartlett. Just like Jeb Bartlett. We still haven't cut enough spending. I agree. I want you to cut agriculture subsidies, and you want me to cut Medicaid again. You know I'll veto any Medicaid cuts, and I know you won't give me any agriculture cuts. So here we are. And by the way, Republicans in the 90s made a bet that the public would back them in this fight, and they were wrong. It divided and hurt the Republican Party. And everyone was so wounded by this moment that for the next 17 years, we avoided another shutdown. What year did that episode of The West Wing come out? It's 2003. Okay, so... When that episode came out, government shutdown had become a different, scarier political beast and a really big deal that we all worked hard to avoid. Yeah, even when we had budget issues, which happen all the time, Congress was able to prevent shutdown by passing what's called a continuing resolution. Here's Charles Tiefer again. When you have a gap, it's possible for Congress to say, we don't have our act together to pass another full-length appropriation bill that would be a hundred pages or much more depending on which one it is. We don't have our act to do that but we could pass a one paragraph statement that you just continue spending for the next 
30, 60, or 90 days at the rate from last year. And that's uh, it's like a bandage over the sore, and it works. During that period, the government has a wallet. There are many complaints about that situation, but it is not a shutdown. Which is something that President Biden signed to avoid the first government shutdown threat of his administration. But our longest shutdown, Hannah, 35 days under President Trump, that seemed to confirm this new normal. That government shutdowns will be the inevitable result of partisan battles between Congress and the president, and they don't seem to have any lasting political consequences. So what happened? Well, we saw our first government shutdown since Clinton during the Obama administration with this big fight over the Affordable Care Act. About three weeks ago, as the federal government shut down, the Affordable Care Act's health insurance marketplaces opened for business across the country. Another example of a party not getting what they wanted and gambling on a shutdown. And also, I think, another example of partisanship of a Congress that does not want to compromise. Because before the 90s, remember, shutdowns were typically short and represented the time that it took to make a compromise on usually something smaller. And that's just not really the case anymore. So Obama had just the one shutdown, but then Trump had three, although one of them only lasted for nine hours. And now, you know, so for me, when someone at the FDA tells me, as they recently did, that they might not be able to do an interview in a week because the government might be shut down. I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. All right, so government shutdown has gone from this sort of temporary hiccup, barring negotiation, to a commonplace political tactic. At least in our current political climate. And for us lay people, us non-government employees, who can kind of shrug at a shutdown because it isn't reflected in our paychecks... I feel like we should emphasize that a shutdown does matter to everyone. It does affect your life. And we're going to find out how after the break. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the Internet, which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service, where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business, and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire? You need Indeed. Cheers to a great day and this ice cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Corona Import, Chicago, Illinois. I just want to invite any listeners out there who might be interested in trivia and ephemera and deeper dives into our episode topics to subscribe to our newsletter. It's called Extra Credit. It's every two weeks. It's a goof. Next week, I'm going to have some Civics 101 trivia that we asked on air and a photo of our executive producer's most hideous new pair of leggings. You can subscribe at civics101podcast.org. All right, let's get back to it. What actually happens when the government shuts down? Great question. Here's Charles Tiefer. The government has various guides, legal opinions of the past, practices of the past, guidelines, and so forth, to follow, which say some activities can continue to be funded sort of on an emergency basis so that uh, the, the armed forces... Aren't left without the ability to to get ammunition. Uh, things that must continue on an emergency basis are able to, but the government splits apart, and quite a lot of its activity isn't emergency; is just a continuing need of the public, and that it can't spend on during a shutdown. And for many of us, the problem does start and end at inconvenience. Uh, among the examples. So most of the IRS shuts down. Uh, If you have a question and you need to get an answer, you can't get an answer. You can't call up. No one will answer the phone. Now, what shuts down during a shutdown all depends on what has or has not been funded at that point. But you're usually going to see the parks services close up shop, meaning bye bye to your trip to Yellowstone. The same goes for Smithsonian Museums and the National Zoo. Immigration courts typically closed, as if the backlog wasn't bad enough. Most of the Department of Agriculture, which monitors farming and forest regulation, shuts down. NASA even has to power down some of its large-scale instruments. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. What about stuff like regulation, like food and drug inspection? Does that continue? Food inspections are considered an emergency service, and they do continue. And things like entitlements, meaning Medicare and Social Security, those don't need annual spending bills, so those keep churning. But there are examples of people being disastrously affected by a government shutdown. I can tell you what one of the most horrible examples of of what happens during a shutdown. In the Health and Human Services, they have uh, what they call trials, tryouts, tests for new drugs, new treatments. And new people cannot be enrolled in a clinical trial. New patients, desperate new patients, cannot be enrolled in clinical trials during a shutdown period. And so you would see, you saw the last time that there was a shutdown, these frantic parents saying, I can't get my son or daughter into a trial. They've got one of these rare types of childhood cancers that there's no good regular treatment for. 
I, I can't imagine what insanity is going on that they're not letting my child get enrolled. And just to be clear, in terms of who is affected by something like that, as of October 2021, there were over 100,000 clinical trials registered in the United States alone. Halting that much work can have devastating consequences. So if Health and Human Services were to shut down during a pandemic, what would happen to all the research, the response, and vaccine development? Well, fortunately, that's considered an emergency service. And for example, HHS uh, created a full what we're going to do with COVID-19 if the government shuts down plan. But keep in mind, these emergency workers, these people who still show up and do the job, they are technically working without pay. There is no money for them. It used to be the custom that when the shutdown was over, they would pay people retroactively. But there have been threats during recent pre-shutdown periods by some, you might call some anti-government or small government people who, uh, who say, let's, we don't want to pay the civil service. Let's not pay them at the end of the, uh, let's not pay retroactively at the end of the shutdown. So who gets to make the call in terms of what actually is an emergency service or not? Well, that has gotten more organized. A few decades ago, it was pretty random. Supervisors at low levels would make the decisions. But now the, there's supervision on high from the White House. Uh, they keep a pretty elaborate tab to make sure there's some uniformity in what's shut down and what's not shut down so that the different cabinet departments have some kind of a similar read. No matter how well a shutdown is organized, it is still a shutdown. There is a civic impact. A shutdown affects how we think of our government. The public does not like it. Well, they all think it shows gridlock in Washington and that Washington is dysfunctional. That's something pretty common that you, you see during shutdowns. Uh, they consider it the extreme example that the government can't get its act together. The public do- doesn't like disorderly things like shutdown. So essentially, even if it is commonplace, it's the kind of thing we roll our eyes at but expect. Shutdowns do endanger faith in our government, which I feel is bad for all of us in the long run. And Nick, just to bring this walk and talk full circle... This is exactly the point that that West Wing episode is trying to make, that shutdown is trying to make. The government shuts down because there was a compromise to keep everything going, and then that compromise is retracted. And Jeb Bartlett is like, do your job. We had a deal. I don't care if my approval ratings drop into single digits. I am the president of the United States, and I will leave this government shut down until we reach an equitable agreement. This episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with Nick Capodice. Our staff includes Christina Phillips and Jackie Fulton. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. If you want more civics, headphones free, you can check out our book on it, 
It's called A User's Guide to Democracy, How America Works. And it's a quick, fun guide to these United States. You can find that wherever books are sold. Music in this episode by Zylo Zyko, Wild Light, Meter, Daniel Birch, and Cycle Hiccups. There is always more to be found, including our many other episodes, a submission form to ask us for an episode you want, and loads more at civics101podcast.org. And while you're there, a reminder that while civics is free to you, it is not free to make. We exist because of your generous contributions to our show. If you're so inclined, you can click the donate button on your way to your favorite civics episode. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.